Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Don't Be Daunted. It's a guest essay by Art Amon, the former director of pediatric immunology and clinical research at the University of California Medical Center in San Francisco. Thirty years ago, back in 1982, Art Amon documented the first cases of AIDS transmission from mother to infant, and also the first blood transfusion AIDS patients. Later in 1998, he founded Global Strategies for HIV Prevention, where today he ministers around the world. With a special focus on women and children, Global Strategies implements international strategies to prevent HIV infection and to work toward a generation free of HIV. Art Amon's essay is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, December the 7th. It's the second Sunday in Advent. The first World AIDS Day was held back in 1988 to bring attention to the global HIV epidemic. This year, World AIDS Day falls on December 1st. The theme is Focus, Partner, Achieve, an AIDS-free generation. It's not a very clear-cut call to action, especially as the world's attention has been temporarily focused on the Ebola virus epidemic. Some people feel that the AIDS epidemic has fallen into obscurity, in spite of the fact that there continues to be over 2.5 million new infections each year, the majority in women and children. In fact, we often get used to some of the most pressing world's problems. There seem to be so many of them. Who decides what is most important? as threats to our health and well-being. Perhaps rather than having the media direct our attention to what they feel is important, it would be best to focus on what has not changed since the days when Jesus called his disciples together to teach them and his followers what was important. In fact, yes, Jesus did use specific diseases to illustrate how we are to respond. In particular, leprosy to show that discrimination and ostracization were not barriers to healing. The crippled to highlight that others need our help in their daily lives. The blind to emphasize that it is not the fault of the sick that they are blind. What lays behind all of these examples was that Jesus was establishing standards of justice that apply to those in our everyday lives whom we can help. It is unlikely that Ebola or HIV existed during Jesus' day, but leprosy, an ancient disease, surely did. Jesus focused on leprosy, I believe, because it held the greatest fear in people's minds that they would risk their own health and perhaps even their own lives if they were to help them. But what intrigues me 
is that Jesus made no attempt to heal all of the lepers, even though he could have. Why is that? He set an example of how we are to respond to the difficult issues of our world. As stated in the Jewish Talmud, and here I quote, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. And then in the New Testament, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Jesus asked us not to walk away from the calamities of this world, but rather to consider through his example what we can do. Jesus was in fact placing a great responsibility on those who claim to follow him. We are not islands to ourselves where our responsibility extends only to those who we brush elbows with or who share our same culture, class, education, religious or economic circumstances. If anyone crossed these boundaries, it was Jesus and the great Apostle Paul. The HIV epidemic continues today for many reasons, but among the most important is the continued infection of women and their infants. Women are infected through unwanted sex or are not told that their sexual partner is infected. Infected women in turn, if not treated, pass the virus to their infants. Behind these behaviors lays the diminished dignity and rights of women. It's not surprising that so much of Jesus' teachings focused on women and children. So, long ago, he set the example for what we should do today. In the Old Testament reading from Isaiah this week, quoted by the Gospel of Mark for this second Sunday of Advent, it was in the harsh desert wilderness that God called John the Baptizer, who in turn called us to prepare a way for the Lord, to make a highway in the most unlikely of places, to speak tenderly to the oppressed, and to bring comfort, comfort to my people. A guest essay by Dr. Art Amon, Don't Be Daunted, for World AIDS Day 2014. And in conjunction, and in keeping with Art's essay, I review a book this week called In the Company of the Poor, Conversations with Dr. Paul Farmer and Father Gustavo Gutierrez. This book is actually edited by Michael Griffin and Jenny Weiss Block. It's published by Mary Knoll, Orbis Books, 2013, 206 pages. <coughs> this book brings together two important voices on the insomnia of the scandal of poverty. Paul Farmer, born in 1959, is a Harvard MD and PhD 
clinician tuberculosis specialist, author of numerous books and scholarly articles, recipient of a MacArthur Genius Grant, and today professor of medical anthropology at Harvard Medical School. That is, when he's not living in a hut in his beloved Haiti, where he founded Partners in Health, or traveling a quarter million miles a year to lecture, visit prisons, or to meet with George Soros or the Gates Foundation. Most important of all, Paul Farmer is an unapologetic, outspoken, and radical advocate for the poorest of the poor. Adequate health care, he insists, is a basic human right for every human being. And then, Father Gustavo Gutierrez, born in 1928, is a Dominican priest and theologian who now splits his time between his parish in Lima, Peru, where for 50 years he has lived and worked among the poor, and then teaching at Notre Dame University in Indiana. In 1971, Gutierrez published a game-changer of a book called A Theology of Liberation. It established his reputation as the father of liberation theology, and made famous the notion of a, quote, preferential option for the poor, end quote. As it turns out, Paul Farmer read Gustavo Gutierrez when he was a student. And when he founded Partners in Health in 1987, he took his legal mission statement for incorporation directly from Gutierrez. It reads, our mission is to provide a preferential option for the poor in health care. Both men categorically reject the many pseudo-explanations for why so many people of the world are so poor. It's not nobody's fault, not just the way things are, our socialization, or accidental forces of history. The deplorable disparities between rich and poor are not random occurrences. They are not accidental, inescapable, or necessary. Rather, they result from what Paul Farmer calls pathologies of power, human agency, and structural violence. People are poor because of the choices other people have made. And as Farmer likes to point out, Disease makes its own preferential option for the poor that leads to early death. Thus, the mainstream pushes the poor to the margins of historical invisibility and moral indifference. This book, in fact, is actually awkward because it's a patchwork put together around a 2011 conference at Notre Dame. The first two chapters are versions of papers that each author presented at the conference. Then, chapters three and four are reprinted from their respective previous book. Farmer's chapter from Pathologies of Power, 2003, and Gutierrez's chapter, We Drink from Our Own Wells, 1984. Chapter five is a 2013 reflection by Farmer on a rereading of Gutierrez after first encountering him 20 years ago. Chapter 6 is a journal article by Gutierrez from 2009. 
And the final chapter is an interview of both men from the 2011 conference at Notre Dame. Nonetheless, and despite this mishmash of a book, as you would expect, these two prophets call us to conversion, to personal solidarity with the poor. As they say, quote, to leave the road we're on and enter the world of another. <clears throat> Michael Griffin and Jenny Weiss Block, editors, the title of the book, In the Company of the Poor, Conversations with Dr. Paul Farmer and Father Gustavo Gutierrez. For movies this week, I review a documentary called Design is One, Massimo and Lella Vignelli, from 2012. This 79-minute documentary explores the work of the husband-wife Italian designers Massimo and Lella Vignelli, who have collaborated for over 50 years in almost every medium imaginable. Their legacy of clients and projects makes for a long list of household names and objects, including corporate brand logos for American Airlines and Ford, public signage like the famous New York City subway and national park maps, art, clothing, housewares, jewelry, and architecture. The Vignelli's signature style was simple, classic, traditional, and minimalist. They brought the now ubiquitous Helvetica font to the United States. On screen, the Vignellis appear winsome, modest, and grateful people with a knowing sense of humor. Massimo's favorite project, he says, is their interior design of St. Peter's Church in Manhattan. He says, it makes me so happy to know I will be here forever. It's a great feeling. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. Once again, design is one. Massimo and Lella Vignelli. And for poetry, in the second week of Advent, we've posted a marvelous poem by Brian Wren. It's called Good is the Flesh. It's a wonderful extrapolation on the significance and implications of the incarnation. Good is the flesh that the Word has become. Good is the birthing, the milk in the breast. Good is the feeding, caressing, and rest. Good is the body for knowing the world. Good is the flesh that the Word has become. Good is the body for knowing the world, sensing the sunlight, the tug of the ground, feeling perceiving within and around. Good is the body from cradle to grave. Good is the flesh that the word has become.
Good is the body from cradle to grave, growing and aging, arousing, impaired, happy in clothing or lovingly bared. Good is the pleasure of God in our flesh. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the pleasure of God in our flesh, longing in all as in Jesus to dwell, glad of embracing and tasting and smell. Good is the body for good and for God. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Poetry by Brian Wren. Good is the flesh. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, December 7th, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.